What is going on? It is the Ethos Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus here on a Sunday morning. We are just a couple of hours away from the regular season coming to an end. Tonight's game doesn't matter a whole lot. So we're going to record this one early on in the day as we look ahead to Tuesday's matchup with the Minnesota Timberwolves with my buddy Justin Wilson of LA Clippers Film. Before we get to Justin, listeners, please take a moment. Follow Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter, the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on Earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's fast in the competition and provides more analysis too. Again, that's at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Follow now, Justin, great to have you back on. How are you, my guy? I'm great. Um, glad to be back. Uh, this is the time of the year where you feel most alive and honestly most most scared, too, because the games start to matter. And I don't know for you, but I knew the play-in was coming, but it, it kind of was like, it's kind of jarring to think, like, it's Tuesday. Like, the season is on the line Tuesday, so the games start to matter very quickly but we're getting healthy at the right time and things are going in the right direction so i'm excited and for those of you that aren't 100 percent sure of what the play-in actually means so the 7-8 t-wolves versus the clippers if the clippers win they're the seven seed it's that simple if they lose they end up playing the winner of san antonio new orleans which is on wednesday and that game i believe will be on friday so and the winner of that game will be the eight seed so what's at stake a win you're the seven a loss, and then you play to become the eight seed. And obviously, you'd like to avoid that. You just want to get that win because, frankly, I think you want to avoid Phoenix and you'd rather play against Memphis. So before we go anywhere, and before I bring up the uh, the fact that's going to blow your mind, it's not even a fact, it's actually something that was said in the past, Justin, who would you rather face, Memphis or Phoenix? I talked a little bit with Andrew Greif about this um, on Tuesday, and he mentioned, you know what, maybe the Clippers want to avoid Memphis because of how poorly they've done against them. And I hadn't even really thought about that, honestly, because I'm on Twitter. I read Shane Young every single day. Shane Young is the biggest Phoenix guy I've seen in my entire life. And he's basically <laughs> he scared me of Phoenix. Like, I am petrified of Phoenix based on his tweets. So I was really never considering that. What are your thoughts on whether you face Phoenix or Memphis? Obviously, you want to win. You want to get in the playoffs. So you want to win and face Memphis. But if you had your choice, who would you rather face? Um. Well, first... I I think there's a little bit of validity to why if you wanted to play the Phoenix Suns, there's reasons why. I think stylistically they work a little better. They're better than the Grizzlies, so I would want to play the Grizzlies. You know what I mean? But like the Grizzlies, they their style of play and what they're great at are things that we're weakest at. Um, Phoenix tends to play at a slower pace with Chris Paul. They tend to operate out of the mid-range a lot. Whereas um, Memphis is just so athletic. They have such, they have so many young guys. They attack the glass. Meanwhile, we start some of the more weaker um, rebounding forwards in the NBA. And we're in general just like a really bad rebounding team. Whereas they are just really good at it. And so I think it's, it's a stylistic thing. Um, where Memphis is way more athletic than than the Clippers, and that's kind of really why we've had so much trouble with them this year. Whereas with Phoenix, you know, between Chris Paul slowing the game down and liking to play in the half court, that kind of lends itself to be more advantageous to our older vets. You know what I mean? But all things being considered, I'd rather play Memphis because, for one, I want to win on, on Tuesday just to get into the playoffs. Yeah. But also, two, you know, Memphis is a team that hasn't been there before, right? They haven't they haven't won a playoff series before. They've won one game with this core um, last year against Utah. And so you're facing a team that's pretty inexperienced, whereas we have a tons of experience between Batum and PG and Reggie and and zoo and and the run that we're coming off of last year so i'd rather play memphis but i completely understand why one may rather play phoenix given how much slower they are stylistically yeah that's my exact thinking is a i want to win on tuesday i don't want to have to worry about this nonsense on friday where one game anything can happen um and also i just think that memphis hasn't been there yet and as good as they are mm -hmm. listen 
John Morant took a leap forward last year in the playoffs, and that kind of was his coming out party was the end of the season. And that led to what has become John Morant this year. And you add in what Jaron Jackson Jr. has done this year. I mean, defensively, he's a menace, and he can shoot the three and spread the floor really well. Desmond Bain's been incredible. I mean, they have a really good team over in Memphis. And there's a ton of other guys I haven't mentioned. But you look at the Clippers, and I think you'd rather face a team in Memphis that hasn't been there. And honestly, at the end of the day, I don't think it matters because I think you're going to have to face both. Uh, I think you're going to end up having to face both, whether you face Phoenix now and you beat them and then you face Memphis later on, or you face Memphis now and you have to face Phoenix in the Western Conference Finals if you get there. I just feel like you're going to have to face both, so it really doesn't matter who you end up facing now. That's kind of my thought on it. I mean, both of those teams are really good. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're the top two seeds in the West for a reason. Um, John Morant causes complete chaos um, in the paint, you know what I mean? He's one of the more dynamic, explosive rim rim running guards in the league. So um, we're going to have our work cut out for us either way. And so you're kind of in a way splitting hairs, right? Like if you if you play Memphis, you're only playing um, one of the more explosive guards in the league and one of the deepest teams in the league. Or you're playing Phoenix, who's been the runaway best team in the league. So either way, we have our work cut out for us. Yeah, no doubt about that. And it's going to be a tough game. Um, I want to talk about that game in a second, and I'm trying to find your exact tweet. You know what? I, I, it's because it'll, it'll sound even better if I have the exact tweet, and I should have had it brought up in the first place, but I don't have it. But what I want to bring up, and, and you know how much I, right. res, I, I respect you and your analysis of players, and you are an incredible judge of talent, but you missed. You missed on something. Do you know what you missed on? Probably Rocco. Yeah, there you go. So when the trade happened, uh, the words that you said, Justin, were he's a tad overrated. And I want to bring that up because you are incredible at judging talent. What has changed in what you have seen with Rocco? Because obviously we know that's the exact opposite of what he has been with the Clippers. He's been tremendous. And I knew he was going to be helpful offensively and defensively. Defensively, he can guard so many different guys. I knew he could shoot the three ball. He was I feel like misused in Houston is that number five all the time. So what have you seen from Rocco that has made you miss so badly on that one? So I don't necessarily think that is. So the way he's being deployed with the Clippers is not the same way that he was being deployed with the Blazers Mm -hmm. and with the Rockets. Yeah, Uh, They used him as a, point of attack defender who was taking all of the big time wing assignments and in that regard I do think he's a tad overrated in in that respect he's not someone who can completely shut down a a, a LeBron or a Kevin Durant or whoever or or even like a Devin Booker if we play Phoenix in the first round like we can't throw him on John Moran and say hey put out this fire right that's something that I think especially in Portland, um, that was kind of what his reputation was. And I just don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think he's an awesome team defender, though. Mm -hmm. And I think what I missed on is the fact that he carried so much of the burden on Portland due to how poor their guards were that I didn't see that he was still a great team defender. And when you surround him with like big wings like Paul George and Nicholas Batum and even Marcus Morris a bit, you can you can shine because you can allow him to do what he does best, which is be an awesome team defender. You see him with the Clippers when he's making like two and three rotations on the back line, being real handsy, knocking balls out of people's hands and stuff like that. And so I just think the Clippers were an environment or not were, but the Clippers are an environment that allows him to do what he does best at this point in his career, which is be an awesome help defender instead of someone who's trying to constantly put out fires because his teammates are so bad defensively. And that's what I miss from what he did in Portland. Because in Portland, you know, between CJ and Dame and Anthony Simons, I mean, they were just a horrid defensive team. And that kind of made Rocco look a little bit overrated and a little bit washed, honestly. And so he came to the Clippers with a much better defensive foundation between Zoo and even Hardenstein. Um, 
uh, Nico and and every and and even Norm Powell a bit. They're just there's a much better defensive ecosystem here and offensive ecosystem for that matter, and that's allowed him to shine and look way better than he did in his two previous stops. Yeah, offensively, you always talk about getting to the paint and then spraying to the corners and spraying to the three point yeah. line, and that that obviously helps with what Rocco can do. Is he can shoot the three ball and you give an op- open shot, he's going to nail it. I want to kind of talk more about the defensive stuff because. It's a really interesting point that you brought up with the team defense. And PG has said that Rocco has come up to him and said, hey, listen, you don't need to guard the best player. I can guard him. So how does that, when when PG says that, what does that mean? Mm. Because you just mentioned that the one, basically the on-ball defender, he's not quite as good guarding one-on-one versus being a team defender. So in the playoffs, how do you see that happening with Rocco, PG, and the rest of the Clippers' defense and how, let's say they play, they go up against a guy like John Morant, for example. Would Rocco go and guard John Morant, or is it more of just you trust your team defense and everybody's going to have to do their role? Well, I think that's one of the biggest misnomers in the NBA is point-of-attack defense. In the it, it, It's one of the things that fans, the eyes, gravitate to, but really it's not nearly as important as your team defense. And you take, for example, us potentially playing someone like John Moran, who is shooting like a ridiculous percentage at the rim. That's a team job. That's a team job. And no one wing that we have will be guarding John Morant for extended periods of time, especially when you consider that we'll probably be going small a ton. There'll be a ton of like pick and rolls and stuff like that. Um, And this is where Rocco signs because Rocco doesn't have to guard John Morant and it's all or nothing. Like if we were playing, if he was on the Blazers, the Blazers would have no shot because they can't, they can't defend at the rim and they don't have anybody to slow them down at the point of attack. But we do, right. We'll probably maybe like start like Nicholas Batum on them, but we can rotate Paul George on him. We can rotate um, Rocco on him. We can put a ton of big bodies on him. And then if he gets to the rim, Zoo's there. And so I think that's a big reason why we've been a top 10 defense the entire season. Um, we have the defensive talent to make things difficult. And with these stars and with these great players, you're looking just to make life as hard as possible, um, not necessarily stop them. And I think Rocco has a ton of defensive talent beside him and together communitively we can make things tough potentially for Ja and so I think that's where he shines where like I don't mean to get too nerdy but if Nicholas Batum is guarding Ja Morant um, we can allow Rocco to man the back line and if there's somebody who's rolling to the basket um, Rocco can do his job as far as tagging the roller and that pass won't even happen Right. You don't see it. Most most casual viewers won't even see it because the ball won't go there. But the ball didn't go there because Robert Covington is allowed to do his job on the back line, which he's been so exceptionally well at during his time with the Clippers. That's something that just wasn't happening at his two previous stops. So um, I know that was a long winded response, but we just have a lot of guys that allow Robert Covington to do what he does best, which is allow his instincts to take over. Not necessarily at the point of attack, but on the back line where like bigs are trying to finish at the rim. That's awesome. Yeah, I I enjoyed that. It teaches me a lot there and it's good stuff. I love when you go in depth like that. It's a no brainer to re-sign him, right? Oh, shit. I mean, goodness gracious. Um, And we said all of that and we didn't even mention maybe the team's most talented defender, Kawhi Leonard. Right. Hell yes. Like, like this team I think is already, they're already a top 10 defense without Kawhi Leonard. Um, You re-sign him at all costs, even if it means like consolidating some of the depth that we have, Mm -hmm. um, because that is a, it's a good problem, but it's still a problem as far as like trying to figure out if we can squeeze some more minutes from out of, out of um, Rocco, but it's a no brainer. It's a no brainer. He fits like a glove with Ty Lue's um, ethos as far as like what he's trying to accomplish on both ends of the floor, big wings that can play three, four and five while also spacing out on a perimeter perimeter um to shoot threes he's a very high iq guy as far as making cuts and making reads off of paul george as well he fits like a glove next to Kawhi and pg and that's ultimately um what you want and so for me it's a no-brainer it's a no-brainer he's been a he's been a home run signing um 
for the most part, we made that trade for Norman Powell. Robert Covington was going to be a free agent after this year anyway. Mm-hmm. But what a revelation. What a revelation. Um, I, I again, I, I didn't see it. I did not I did not see how well he would fit in, how well he would shoot the ball with us. Um we still have to see it in the playoffs. Yeah. Right? Like if he has a bad playoffs, then maybe the team isn't as gun ho about trying to resign him. But um at this very moment it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Um I'd be disappointed if we couldn't retain him. Um it's very smart of the front office cuz we have his bird rights, so there's no reason to not sign him. Um, so, and, and it seems like he loves it here as well. Um, he's, he's been awesome. Resign him at all costs. So I think this is a perfect segue into what happens in the playoffs and how much Mm -hmm. does a guy like Robert Covington play? Because it's no secret, Justin, the Clippers have a lot of guys that they can play. And you and I did a podcast and we were deciding Amir Coffey or Terrence Mann. And you chose Amir Coffey when we did a podcast a little while ago. And now Terrence Mann has done better. And you look at Robert Covington and what he's done. And now Batum's healthy. PG is healthy. Norm Powell is healthy. I'm curious in terms of the minutes, what you're expecting to see in the playoffs. And I think Andrew said it pretty well when I had him on Tuesday when we were chatting about this. And we agreed that really you can't say what the minutes are going to look like in the playoffs because it's so game by game dependent with this team. We've seen the way Ty Lue make a, makes adjustments on the fly in one game. You may have Luke Kennard get zero minutes. The next game, he may play 27. So you really have no idea what this team's going to look like. But it really feels like you're going to go with the starting five that they've been going with recently. And then from there, it's like if Morris is having a bad game, you got to play Covington. And if Zoo's not doing well, you can go to a small ball five or you can bring in Hartenstein. It, it feels like it really is game by game dependent. What would you like to see from this team? And who do you want to see on the floor? Because it really seems like Norman Powell probably won't start. Um, in that game on Tuesday, but he still could play a ton of minutes because he's going to come off the bench and he's going to be important to what they do. Um, Norm Powell is going to play a ton of minutes. Yeah, he may not, he may not start, but he's a fixture, right? And so one of the things about the playoffs is you're only really playing eight guys. That's just the reality of it because you look at your starters mostly will probably play heavier minutes than they do in a regular season. And that automatically takes away from the amount of minutes that you're going to be given to your depth guys anyway. So for me, you're looking at the starters plus Norm plus Rocco and probably Terrence. Mm -hmm. That'll probably be the strong eight. Um, I know that squeezes guys like Luke Kennard and Hart out of the rotation, but they have situational utility. And that goes back to what you and Andrew were saying, that sometimes the complexity of the game will dictate, hey, maybe we need some we need a jolt of shooting here. Luke Kennard, step in. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I think those are depth situational utility guys. But um, the top eight has to probably be the starters, Norm, Rocco and Terrence. And I think in that regard, you look at um, Robert Covington as being probably the backup center. And I think that's how the Clippers will plan to get him on the floor more, despite not starting. Because if you want to give the if you want to give the starters minutes or the lion's share of the minutes um, at three and four to um, Nico and, and Morris, then there is not a ton of minutes there for Robert Covington, at least not enough for my from my vantage point, given how good he's been. Um, so how you get him on the floor is by making him the backup center. And so I think you'll see Zoo start at the five to give us that positional um, size against like a Steven Adams or if if or even like um, in, in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. But I think I think. Um, especially against a guy like Carl Towns, who likes to be a pick and pop big, you can see a, you. I can see a scenario where we go to Robert Covington as the backup five very quickly um, in front of a Hardenstein, and so I think that pushes Hart and Luke and Amir to the end of the rotation. But I also don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because you're only going to you can only play so many guys come playoff time, and it's a good it's a good situation for us because the end of our playoff rotation is really good 
Luke Kennard is really good. Amir Coffey's really good. Hart is really good. Um, if we need them to be called upon, which we will, um, if we play long enough, um, I feel confident in them being able to step into those roles. But the starting five plus Norm, Rocco, and Terrence is how I would go. And by the way, Terrence has just been awesome. And yeah. more than anything, his rebounding. We're so we're such a bad rebounding team that I'm I'm giddy at the fact that um we found good Terrence so we can play him those in those big spots because we need his rebounding and we need his rim pressure. And he's been in this spot now before. He's been in the playoffs so that last year mm-hmm. was really important for him because now he's been in the series like Utah where he knows how important it is in, in big moments and he doesn't shy away from them. So that's really big and it's really going to be interesting with this team, Justin, because. Normally, I agree with you that nor- you go eight. You go eight, maybe a couple of minutes from your ninth guy during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I-, I just don't know if that's the case for this team. I, I don't know if that's what they're going to do. It's certainly possible. There's no doubt about it. But you guys, you guys, I can't see Kennard getting zero minutes in a playoff game. I-, I just can't see that the way he's been shooting. And then you look at Hartenstein, and I, I can't see him getting zero. It's, it's certainly possible. But I, I just don't know. And the thing that's going to be interesting um, about the game against Minnesota, and we're going to preview that game in just a second, is that as much of a must-win game it is because you want to get into the playoffs, it's even more of a must-win game, Justin, because you know the Clippers get screwed with the schedule every single year. And if you lose that game, you have to play Friday and then play again on Sunday. And so I was thinking, okay, do you want to play a guy like PG 40-plus minutes on Tuesday when you do have that fallback on Friday? But the answer is certainly yes, because Mm -hmm. you want to give him those five days off or whatever it is from Tuesday to Sunday, and that would be crucial to have those days off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's four days without basketball. I think that would be huge and really important for the Clippers to win this game on Tuesday. I'm assuming you agree. Oh, absolutely. Um, for for all of the reasons you mentioned, they've got to treat Tuesday like a game seven. They've got yeah. to throw everything at it because you just don't want to be in a sudden death situation where your season is on the line and you're subject to like a CJ McCollum outburst and he puts and he sends you home for the summer. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't want to you don't want to go down that route. And as you said, um, the the rest advantage from playing on Tuesday and getting Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off. Um, those are, and I'm assuming we would end up playing Saturday. Yeah. Um, that, that's huge. Mm, that's yeah. huge. You know what I mean? And that's, that can't, that can't be overstated or overlooked. So for all of those reasons, and I think Ty Lu will treat it as a game seven, you throw everything at this. And that's why I say, um, I'm not so sure, um, we get past eight guys yeah. on, um, on Tuesday. And I, I don't mean like those guys will play zero minutes. I just don't think they'll be playing like the minutes that were accustomed. Oh, to for seeing. sure. For sure. You know what I mean? Because like, I, I, PG's got to play, um, if necessary, 40 minutes right now. I was talking with my brother about this. This is also why it's kind of important to get off to a good start in Minnesota. If we get off to a really good start where we're up by like seven, eight points after one, um, we've got the crowd under control, then maybe we can sneak some minutes from um, from PG. Maybe we can get get like Reggie Jackson off the floor a little bit, and that allows us to feed um um some some more some more minutes to some of our guys deeper in the bench like luke and um and Hart and things of that nature but if we're playing from behind and if we're playing from behind on the scoreboard that can kind of influence how we're going to go about the rotation so um i think the game will tell a lot and how we start will tell a lot but um i i i think going I think we're going to go every, we're going to go at it as if it's a game 7 and um I'm 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 optimistic and depending on how we start that'll tell a lot as far as how the rotations go um as far as like getting to Luke and getting to Hart and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean if you fall behind you bring up a good point. You may end up playing PG the entire second half, which is what you'd right. like, like to avoid doing. So, all right, we're going to preview the Minnesota game in just a second. Folks, we have a brand new daily fantasy partner at Sports Ethos, Thrive Fantasy. Prop up with Thrive Fantasy on their mobile app or at Thrive Fantasy Dot com. Use the code ETHOS when you sign up to get a 100% deposit match bonus on your first deposit up to 100 bucks plus 
either two or four free game tickets to play. Pick player props on the biggest names playing every night. Score points when your props hit. And the players with the most points with a sh- win a share of the nightly prize money. And check out our Sports Ethos DFS team or podcast for advice on winners. Again, that code is ethos over at thrivefantasy.com. Justin, let's talk about the Minnesota series. But before we get oh, yeah. to the actual Minnesota, or not series, it's actually one game. I want to bring up something, and that is Patrick Beverly. And everybody was really upset when Patrick Beverly was gone. And we knew all along, I mean, the main thing that everybody was saying, including myself right away, was that you make that trade 100 times out of 100 because Pat Bev has not been available. And when you have a team that contains PG and Kawhi, you want to make sure you have somebody like Eric Bledsoe who's going to play a lot of games. Little did we know, Eric Bledsoe would then be used as a trade ship to get Norman Powell. So not only do that do that trade 100 times out of 100 to get Bledsoe on the floor, which he was really important what the Clippers did early on in the season, but then by getting rid of Pat Beverly, you end up getting Norman Powell. So that trade has worked out wonders for the Clippers. And by the way, we have played 81 games so far this season. Patrick Beverly has played in 57 of them. So that tells you just that guy can't stay on the floor. As, as much of an important presence he is defensively, I think what this season has shown, Justin, is that the front office knows what they're doing because you get rid of a guy like Pat Bev, who was a fan favorite, but he just couldn't stay on the floor this year, and you end up getting Norman Powell. Yeah, I mean, I think it had to do – I think Patrick Beverly spoke on um, the the contractual stuff um, on J.J. Reddick's podcast yeah, as well. Yeah, he mentioned um, that he, he got a number from Lawrence Frank, and he said, nope, trade me. <laughs> yeah, like he's like, I'm not signing the, an extension for this. And so yeah. I think they worked on an agreement with a trade, and um, I think it was a necessary trade. Yeah. But, hey, it, it netted us Norm Powell in yeah. the end, which – can be it's going to be huge it was it's going to be huge this postseason but next season when we can put norm powell next to Kawhi leonard as well as paul george it, it it should be it should be special right like patrick beverly essentially netted us norm powell and robert covington right like mm-hmm. so i can't i can't be too upset at, at that trade and as you said it was all about health um, Patrick, we, we, everybody from the front office down to the fans knew how important Patrick Beverly was. And you can kind of see what he's been able to do in Minnesota as far as like changing the culture. Um, and he's a starter on that team and he's very important to what they do on both sides of the ball. And I remain convinced that Patrick Beverly is a really, really good basketball player. He's a winning basketball player and he helps your team and your organization go in the right direction. So, um, Minnesota's benefiting from him. Um, We've benefited from trading him, um, so it'll be kind of bittersweet to knock him out of, of the play-in on Tuesday and send them to, like, maybe the AFC, but I'm looking forward to doing that. Yeah, and there's no doubt about that. I mean, he is just a guy that can win. The thing is, he doesn't stay on the floor, and he has certainly changed the culture in Minnesota, and let's talk about that game on Tuesday because the Clippers have faced Minnesota th- four times this year. They won 126-115 November 3rd, 104-84 November 5th, won 129 to 102 on November 13th. So three games really early on in the season and then lost in January, 122 to 104. How much can we take out of those four games, Justin? Because it feels like you can't take much out of it because you have players that were missing in those games and then you look at the Clippers and you have Powell who wasn't on the roster then. Ibaka was on the roster then. Beverly, or pardon me, uh, Bledsoe was on the roster in the first three games. So how much can we take out of the four games where the Clippers won three of four? Probably not much. Um, Both teams are just so dramatically different. Um, Minnesota, if there was a most improved team award um, over the course of 82 games, um, Minnesota may get it. (laughs) I mean, they've been they've been really, really good for a while now. So um, I don't think you can take much out of it. But schematically and stylistically, I do think the Clippers pose some problems to uh, to Minnesota's attack as far as what they like to do. And that's part of why I'm optimistic about Tuesday night. Um, but in a one game scenario, that's the scary part about it. But, yeah, I, I don't think you can take much from the regular season. I, I think just straight up, however, the Clippers do present some real, real challenges to what Minnesota likes to do. Go on further. We'll explain that. Well, I mean, it, it's all about it's all about Towns and um and and Ant Man yeah. um for them, and I think 
this is where you're going to see a ton of Robert Covington potentially because this is what the Clippers love to do, right? Um, one of Ty Lue's specialties is come playoff time, he picks on the weakest defenders in small, small pick and roll action, and he forces men, he forces defenses to make a decision. And so, if you're going to put Patrick Beverly, if you're going to put D'Angelo Russell on the floor, um, we're going to put them in pick and roll action with Paul George and Reggie Jackson, and you're not going to allow um, either of those small guards to guard Paul George one on one. That'll put two on Paul George, and now you're playing with a man advantage. Um, I think if you're if you're like Cat Towns, right? Who are, who are you guarding, right? You may guard Zoo, but if we go small and we put Robert Covington at the five, then you have to respect Robert Covington all the way at the three-point line. And that stylistically is what makes the Clippers so hard to guard. And it's also why you can't take away much from the regular season games because we weren't able to get to that point, partly because those guys weren't on the team. And so I think the real problems that the Clippers present to Minnesota is just the fact that, um, and this is not just Minnesota, it's just the entire league. When the Clippers go small, they have probably the best small ball lineup in the NBA, right? You can, you can look, nobody's stopping Carl Towns. He's one of the most talented bigs of all time already. He's one of the greatest shooters of all time, but if you're playing like if they like they like to do pick and pop stuff with Carl Towns, we can just switch it because we have four guys out on the floor who are like switch six eight, and that kind of takes away Carl Towns' pick and pop advantage that he does against traditional fives. And so I think stuff like that, being able to spread the Minnesota's bigs and being able to attack their small guards with like Paul George and um, Reggie Jackson and Norm Powell. Um, I think stuff like that is why I, I I like the Clippers in this matchup. And I also like the Clippers honestly moving forward because I think when they go small, it's the, it's the, um, it's the end all be all. Like when they go small, it's kind of like their death lineup in a way. And I don't, I don't see how Minnesota is going to be able to handle that. Um, now, if we're in foul trouble or we don't make shots, things could get interesting. But um, when we go small and put Robert Covington at the five, I, 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 I like our chances. I just don't think Minnesota has enough offensively, Justin. I, I just don't think they have. I, agree. I don't think they can keep up Wait. with what the Clippers have offensively. Because, by the way, that the game the Clippers lost, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns didn't play, but neither did Paul George, neither did Batum. The second highest minutes in the Clippers was Xavier Moon. So you, you obviously can't take anything out of the loss. But just looking at the Timberwolves and what they're doing night to night, Justin, it's Edwards and Towns, like you said, and there's mm-hmm. not much else there. I mean, yeah, it's two guys, and in the playoffs, you can't really go very far if you only have two guys. It just doesn't work. Yeah, and like it's kind of the worst case scenario for the Minnesota Timberwolves because the Clippers have a ton of guys that they yeah. can just throw at Anthony Edwards and Carl Towns, like. You're not going to stop these guys one-on-one, but going back to what we said earlier in the podcast, defense is about team. It's not necessarily about, oh, we have this guy that can stick Carl Towns. We have this guy that can stick Anthony Edwards. No, it's the fact that we can shuffle through like Paul George, Robert Covington, Nicholas Batum, Marcus, um, Marcus Morris in a pinch. We can shuffle through these wings. Um, that can even Norm Powell, he can guard up a position or two. Um, that's, that's, that's a recipe for disaster against Minnesota. Like I, I believe if you're the Timberwolves, you don't want to play a team that has a five that shoots as well as Robert Covington, because where's who is going to guard Carl Towns? I think if you look at the games that Carl Towns did play, we had a back to back against Minnesota earlier in the season. And um, Paul George didn't play. I mean, I mean, Paul George did play. Patrick Beverly didn't play, but Ty Lue did a ton of attacking Carl Towns. And that we just have so, much that Minnesota has trouble with handling from their smaller guards to who is Carl Towns going to guard like we can see Ty Lue put Carl Towns in pick and roll scenarios or we can do small small pick and roll and we can throw Robert Covington in the corner and Carl Towns may have to guard the corner and there's nobody at the front of the rim and so I mean 
that's something that he struggled with his entire career, that side of the ball. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to seeing how this um, plays out, but mentally in my head, it feels like it should be a, a win for the Clippers. We have the more, we're the more talented team offensively, as you said. And one of the things I want to highlight is the fact that the Clippers it's a small sample size. The teams haven't been the best. I understand that. But visually, they've looked like they turned a corner offensively since Paul George has been back. And statistically, that reflect it, re- it reflects that. Um, we've been a top, we've been a top 10 offense over the last eight games, top five offense over the last five. And it's because Paul George is shooting a ton of threes, but he's also touching the paint and spraying out and creating open looks for for other people. And I don't think that'll change um, going into Tuesday. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. But I think for a myriad of reasons, it should play out in the Clippers' favor. And you've mentioned time and time again on this podcast. I mean, it feels like you were on this podcast slamming your fist against the table 10 plus threes for paul george 10 plus threes for paul george 10 plus threes for paul george yeah you've been saying it man year after year and here we go and pg if i believe i saw you tweet out this uh stack the other day um or retweet i think it was law three of five pg has five or more made threes since coming back from injury i mean that is that's massive And, and it's just hard not to look at this game against minnesota and be like all right Next, playing against Memphis. I, I feel like the fans are already looking towards Memphis, but the I'm not. But uh, really, you're not at all because it, it really does feel no. like I, I just don't see how they lose to Minnesota. I, I just don't see how they lose to. I feel like they're too good, and this team reminds me too much of the one that went to the Western Conference Finals last year. That it and it could be even better than that team. So you yep. look and you say, well, they wouldn't lose to Minnesota. Why would they? I mean, it, it just feels that way. Yeah, I mean, in the vacuum, I absolutely agree with you, but it's a one game. It's a one game and anything can happen in one game. Um, You can have a great game plan and you may have to scrap it because somebody's in foul trouble or one of Minnesota's reserves um, gets uncharacteristically hot and makes a couple of threes. And you have to adjust to that. Maybe in a series, you don't have to adjust to that because it's a random one game. But in a one game sample, anything can happen. And so that's why. I think all things being equal, the Clippers should win. But, you know, if some if some randomness happens, you know, there's always a potential for that that can throw off things in a one game scenario. And that's the part that scares me. But um, I'm cautiously optimistic. I have one eye towards um, Memphis, but I also have a strong eye towards Tuesday. I, I really don't think we should overlook that because Memphis, I mean, Minnesota is a really good team and they're certainly capable of beating the Clippers in a one game scenario. Um, I think they may, they may even be favored, maybe not by much. Maybe I think the last time I saw it is like one and a half, but which tells you that the books think it's going to be a coin flip. I think I'd probably favor the Clippers a little bit more than that, but yeah, I don't, I don't think this is a runaway in any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I certainly don't think the Clippers are above blowing it just for the simple fact that we haven't had a lot of on court time for Paul George, Norm Powell, Robert Covington all together. We haven't, we just haven't had the time. And so that can certainly show itself in a one game scenario. So we'll see. Um, That being said, I think the Clippers have certainly the pedigree to be confident and they have the pedigree to get it done on Tuesday, but I, I'm not overlooking Minnesota in the slightest. They can definitely do it in a one game scenario. Yeah. I mean, there's one game where Pat Beverly locks up Paul George and Carl Anthony Towns goes nuts and Edwards doesn't mm-hmm. miss. So sure, certainly it could happen. I mean, there's no doubt that in a one game sample size, anything can really happen. And that's why sure. The fans, some fans, including myself are kind of, I'm not overlooking Tuesday, but I'm 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 already thinking about Memphis, and I, I just don't think that Ty Lue will allow his guys to do that. So that's the best part about Ty Lue and the Clippers is that they're not looking forward to that next round. I mean, they are looking forward to beating Minnesota, and that's it. And so that's what's important is the players are the ones that are focused on what's ahead. And uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting because I, I mentioned it briefly, and I've talked about it in this podcast. I know that a lot of different Clippers podcasts are talking about this. It really does feel like this team is as good, if not better, than the team that went to the Western Conference Finals last year. And I agree. It's it's wild because you and I were talking before we started recording, and I said to you that it's been hard to kind of really get into the last couple of months because you knew the inevitable was going to happen. You knew this team was not good enough to get that seven uh, to get that six seed, and so you knew a play in was going to happen. 
and you just were waiting for guys to get healthy. You were hoping PG came back. You were hoping Powell came back. Now they've come back and they've played so well and that we're at the playoffs. It, it now can get you thinking and get those motor that get that motor going thinking you know what hey this team can go pretty far man it, it, there's and then the one thing that's going to be frustrating is that we're going to get a game to game is Kawhi coming back that's that's one thing i'm not looking forward to in this postseason <laughs> is, is is that nonsense of wondering oh man Kawhi's getting shots up oh no he's on he's playing three on three i'm just not looking forward to that this entire postseason because it really feels like it's one of those things that's getting your hopes up only for him not to come back i mean there's no reason for him to not come back because he's got that contract. So it's certainly possible if he's healthy, he'll come back. But this team, man, and it really will give you hope that, okay, you beat Minnesota. If that happens, then you beat Memphis. If that happens, then you really can think, oh shit, like can Kawhi come back? Like can, can the Clippers do this? Can they win a title this year? It just, it comes into your head. You know what I mean? No, it, it, it comes, it definitely comes into your head. And for me, I think, I I am 100% in agreement with you in that this team is better than the team that made the Western Conference Finals last year. And look, beating the Timberwolves and beating the Minnesota, I mean, beating the Timberwolves and beating the Grizzlies um, is easier than coming back from 0-2 in multiple series, yeah. in my opinion. And they did that. So I don't think, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all. I actually think... Um, it's not insane at all to think that the Clippers could get out of the play-in and get out of the first round. They certainly have the talent to do so. Um, they don't have the um, regular season equity to lean back on because of the lack of on-court time, but the talent is there. The talent is there to do something special. And even without Kawhi Leonard, I think this is a team that can box with any of the other seven, eight, nine teams that are currently in the field right now. I would feel confident against any team, Phoenix, Memphis, Golden State, this Clipper team on both sides of the ball can be dynamic. They've got, in my opinion, a top three coach in basketball who is so fluid in his adjustments. And that's probably the biggest difference. I don't, I don't mean to bring up doc right now, but the biggest difference between he and doc is that he won't, he won't hesitate to take somebody out of the rotation in a playoff series. If they're playing bad or if the lineup isn't working, um, he's consulting with, with the, the analytics team every single morning, trying to figure out hey, if this isn't working, what should we do? Um, I'm just so optimistic about, um, this potential run. Um, that being said, it's not going to be an easy road. It shouldn't be an easy road. You are the seventh seed for a reason. Um, Memphis is really good. Minnesota is really good. But all things being considered, I truly do like my chances. And I consider myself a little bit of a pessimist, but it's hard not to be optimistic when you look at um, just how much firepower the Clippers have. They aren't the traditional seventh seed or if they go in as the eighth seed, they're not the traditional eighth seed. And I think I'm I'm. I'm cautiously watching how Tuesday goes because they go into Tuesday playing some really, really good basketball. I'm a big believer in Mojo. I think they have found some spirit. As you said, um, before Paul George returned, they kind of were bleeding out. They had lost five in a row. Um, they probably they had kind of like exercise everything that they could possibly get out of that iteration of the Clippers. And I think they've kind of turned the corner since Paul George and Norm Powell came back. And um, I think, I, I, I'm anxious to see how that manifests on Tuesday because they are playing some really good basketball unbiasedly. And the Minnesota Timberwolves, once again, they present things that are advantageous towards the Clippers. Like the Clippers are going to put Carl Towns in hell and pick and roll. They are going to put D'Angelo Russell and Patrick Beverly in hell and pick and roll. And they're going to put Minnesota in rotation. And if we're making shots, we're one of the best three point shooting teams in the league. Um, we're also one of the best at creating open looks from the corners. Um, I, I like it. I like our chances, man. I, I really, truly do think that um, with Paul George and Norm Powell back, um, we can do some special things. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Tuesday. It's fun, man. It, it really is fun because you go through a season that really felt like going through the motions. The Clippers had some really good wins that were unexpected. They had some really bad losses. Injuries hit them. COVID hit them nonstop. It felt like every single time they got someone back, someone else um, got COVID. It, it's been a really wacky season, 
But now that we're here, it's hard not to look at this team and be like, damn, dude, this team is really good. Like, they set the record, I think, for the Clippers for most threes made in a season. Like, this team can shoot the shit out of the ball. Like, there is no doubt about that. And it just reminds you of last year's team that you said, Mm -hmm. dude, this team can shoot the shit out of the ball. And they're even better this year at that. And they have players like Norman Powell that can take the load off of Paul George, where PG, man, you got to the finish line last year, and he was gassed. I mean, PG's legs were cooked at the end of that playoff run because he was being used so much, he was barely sitting. And so now you've got a little more there in Norman Powell and just a couple more years of guys like Luke Kennard who maybe can come and give you a couple of minutes. Terrence Mann, who's been there. Reggie Jackson, Mr. June. How effing good was he last postseason? I mean, you just have guys that have been there. And with this coach, like you said, man, this team finished 500. I mean, it's they're over 500 right now. Who knows what happens tonight? And there's a reason why we're not discussing tonight, because I have a feeling everybody's going to sit for the Clippers. So it doesn't matter what happens tonight. I mean, just the, look, looking back now, Justin, like at this season, really impressive by the Clippers to be where they are right now at one game over 500 with all the injuries and COVID that they face. It's been remarkable. Um, remarkable would be an understatement. Um, it truly shows just how far the franchise has come and it truly shows just how deep this Clipper team is. Um, credit honestly goes to the front office. Um, Ty Lue has done a fantastic job, but the Clippers have done a fantastic job of shoring up the margins, right? Like we've leaned on a lot of guys that people quite frankly disregarded, um, Amir Coffey was undrafted. Terrence was a late second round pick. Um, just last season, um, people were completely tearing apart Luke Kennard's contract. And these guys came through and won us some real big games um, during this season. Um, even Brandon Boston, a bottom 10 pick, but he helped us win like two games this year. Um, that, that matters, right? That matters when you're trying to get into the playoffs and and you're trying to accumulate as many wins as possible when you're as star deficient as we were. And Reggie Jackson was disregarded by um, Detroit. You know what I mean? And and Nicholas Batum was disregarded by Charlotte. And so a ton of the guys that we've put on the floor this year were completely disregarded by their previous franchises or just undrafted. And anybody could have put this collection of talent together, but it was the Clippers who went digging to find find Brown in Boston with the bottom 10 pick. It was the Clippers who who picked Terrence Mann, right? It was the Clippers who went out and grabbed Amir Coffey. So it was the front office that gave Ty Lue some real stuff to work with. And we've, we've put together, I think, a really competent basketball team that has finally caught up with their stars, right? And so you put the stars next to the competent role players that we have, and that's kind of what makes a really good basketball team. And that's how you were able to get through this season and And that's why I'm optimistic about the playoffs, because just top to bottom, it's just a really, really good basketball team. One of the deepest in the league. Yeah. And circling back to the start of the pod and Rocco was a guy that just was not used correctly and frankly was undervalued. And because of that, the Clippers were able to get him in addition to Norman Powell in that trade. So they're, they're really well set up for this playoff run. Once, and next year, too. Yeah. Like, no, well, they're going to be healthy. I mean, that's the issue. Yeah. It's always the issue with this team. It's been for years. It's been health. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times has Blake Griffin and Chris Paul gotten hurt in the playoffs? I mean, it just they got to be healthy. And if they're healthy, they're an NBA title contender. And there's no reason why they can't win at all. So it's just, They should win 60 games next year. Yeah. If they're healthy, there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt mm-hmm. about that they should win 60 games. I want to bring up one thing that I kind of want people to keep an eye on just because it's been something that's been coming on of late, and Law Murray tweeted it last night. Um, Isaiah Hartenstein, we're not expecting him to play a ton of minutes, but in his first eleven, first 77 games, he was 6 of 17 from 3. In his last four, he's now 7 of 11. Is there anything to that at all? <laughs> uh, I, I laugh because I was talking with my brother this morning about um, Hart shooting threes. Yeah. I... I don't think there will be a situation in the playoffs where if we're on offense where we we would want um Hardenstein to be shooting threes. I can I can think that I think that there will always be a better option unless it's like two on a shot clock and he has the ball. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I probably would rather somebody else 
a bit more reliable. Um, it's nice that he has that in his um, repertoire, and it's just another reason why he's a really, really talented player. Um, he's probably played his way off of the Clippers for next season's roster, um, but he's another guy who um, was a late signing, um, going back to what we were talking about previously. Another guy that the Clippers were able to find, you know what I mean, and develop. Um, so I think... The th- it's nice that he's able to shoot threes, but I don't think there's many scenarios in the playoffs where I'm like, yeah, if Hardenstein is open, he should let it fly. You know, yeah. um, I don't know how many threes he'd have to make for um, me to be like actually gun ho about it. But like I said, it's it's nice that he's able to do it. But there's almost always going to be a better option, right? Like if he's on the floor with paul george or like norm powell i would much rather um them be shooting and if he finds himself open from three i'd prefer him going into another action or maybe eating up that space for his floater that he likes rather than um shooting shooting threes but it's nice it's nice that he can do it um it's just such a it's such a gamble to allow him to go bombs away in a playoffs where every half court possession is so precious. And it feels like it's something that if he does remain on the Clippers next year that he can build on. I mean, Pascal Siakam talked about it on JJ Reddick's podcast and that's a great podcast for anybody that doesn't listen. He said that he didn't shoot threes at all in college because they didn't tell him to like he, it just wasn't part of his game. And then all of a sudden he got into the NBA and they started letting him shoot threes. And it's one of those things with Hartenstein where guys now can develop a three ball. Like that is certainly something they can develop. And, Seven of 11 in the last four games I means a small sample size, but it shows he can do it. So if you're able to keep him on the roster, maybe he's a guy that becomes um, someone that you can look at in the playoffs next year, someone that you can throw in there to help spread the floor. So it's just something to keep an eye on. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, if he spent the entire season shooting threes and making them at a respectable clip, then then this is probably a different conversation to be fair right like that then we would know that that's part of his game he's knocking it down at like a 37 percent clip um he, it, it'd be something to be noteworthy but um i think i i, I just want to see a little bit more yeah i agree hey quickly before we sign off i want to also remind you to all use the coupon code hoopball20 at manscaped.com for 20 percent off your order and free shipping also, check out our pals at mybookie.ag. Use the code HOOPBALL on the third page of sign-up to unlock the deposit batch match bonuses there as well. Justin, this has been awesome. Always great having you on at LA Clippers Film on Twitter. I'm assuming we're both predicting a win on Tuesday. It just feels like the Clippers are a better team than Minnesota. And if so, I'm going to have to have you on throughout the playoff run, man. You know that's going to have Let's to happen. Sweet. Let's do it. Let's do it. Sweet. He's Justin. I'm Brandon. Until next time. Go Clips!